We're talking about thriving. And there are still some who, uh, who are not quite sure of, of what I mean by that and are, are giving me some uh, low-key uh, criticisms and, and it makes me kind of smile because I think just listen to the sermons. But okay, just to make sure we're all on the same page here. When we're talking about thriving, anyway, here at Living Hope, we're not, we're not talking about some kind of best life now, self-asserting, successful in a worldly way, motivational mumbo jumbo, okay? When we're, when we're talking about thriving here, we're, so, we're talking about something that is hardcore biblical. Let's look at the definition. Thriving is, is having the confidence to be intimate with God. It takes confidence to be intimate with God. A lot of people aren't intimate with God. A lot of people know facts about God. But is there an intimacy? Is there a confidence to live in the presence of God and the contentment to obey God's commands? To say, God, I don't have to know why. It's enough that you said it. I'm going to obey you. I I don't need any more than what you give me. I don't need to know. I just need to obey because you are good. You are God. It takes confidence to be someone who's willing to be content to simply obey God and to trust the outcomes to God's capable care to say, God, to the best of my ability, I'm going to love you, love people and honor you and obey you. And whatever happens, that's on you. That's in your hands. I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to be afraid. And let me just tell you, if you're living with a constant sense of worry, if you're living with a constant sense of unforgiveness, if you're living mad all the time, you're not thriving. But when you have an intimate relationship with God and you know the grace that's been given to you, it's easier to give grace to others. When you believe in the power of God, it's easier, it's easier to walk with God. It doesn't mean you're not gonna be afraid. This week we're memorizing um, uh, Psalm uh, 56, three and four. When I am afraid... I trust in you. I will put my trust in you. In the God whose word I praise. In God I trust. When I am afraid. Yes, we're in a broken world. So there's going to be moments when we're going to be tempted. But when we're thriving, we can can see that God is there. And we we can know that he's good. And we can have the confidence to be intimate with God. And content to obey his commands. And trust the outcome into his capable care. The series we begin today is Thriving with Opportunities. God knows each and every one of us. He's made us. He formed us. He put us where he wants us to be. He's gifted us. He's given us all that we need to fulfill our destiny. You have a destiny. You've been predestined. You have a place in God's heart if you've repented and believed the gospel. And all things are working together for good for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And now it is our responsibility in light of the goodness of God to be a thriving people who engage the opportunities that God gives. But I want to make sure we avoid a a mistake that we Westerners who value individualized existence to such a high extent. Friends, we got to understand that Christianity is communal. We cannot be thriving on our own. We, we are not a thriving people on our own. We are, we are thriving when we are living in the community of Christ. 
God saves us and then calls us to be a member of a local church. I don't know if you saw the Super Bowl last Sunday and, and how you, you feel about it and, and that sort of thing. And I don't mean to, you know, to, to open up, uh, you know, uh, sore wounds, you know, like for Pastor Benny, who's a big Kansas City Chiefs fan. And if he's hearing this, you know, we're still laughing, we're still laughing. But, but there was a play in the third quarter. And, and it, I just love this play. They, uh, Tampa Bay was in scoring, it was in the red zone and Chiefs called timeout and Brady goes to the side and they're just talking. Looks like they're having small talk. Looks like they weren't even taking the timeout seriously. He comes back and as he's going back, he sees players coming in and out and he turns around. I love the camera angles right up on his face. He started yelling, same, same, same. He started sending people off the field and other people back onto the field. And he kept yelling, same, same. The defense had shifted, but he didn't care. He knew what he wanted. He wanted what they were already decided they were going to do. And being the goat, they scored that play. Now, it's, it's nice to have Tom Brady. Don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, don't you know the Bostonians are still crying? But you know what it took in that moment? It took all those players that were on that field. And they were all very different. One of the guys was 6'7", 375. Can you imagine being six? We would have to have a hope hue just for that guy. And he'd be on the security team. I'm telling you that right now. But then you had these little bitty wide receivers and you had, you know, Tom Brady, because if you were to walk in here, you'd be like, no way he's the goat. No way, you know, because he just doesn't look like, wow, that's an athlete. <laughs> just does. But each one of them did their part that accomplished the purpose. And so it is in the church. We're not all the same. We're made different. We're gifted different. We have different personalities. We have different roles that we are to serve in the church. I, I so appreciate uh, the, the, the scripture on this. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. We have one single purpose, to glorify God and make disciples. It's very clear. We're to do that together. And each one of us has a unique part. Your gifts, my gifts, our abilities, our roles, what we've learned, what God's called us to do. We're to do that together. We each have a part. The receivers had a part. The linemen had a part. The backs had a part. You have a part. I have a part. We must do our part in order to be a thriving people. And we do it all under the lordship of Jesus Christ, who's already called the play and who's already written the playbook. It's our responsibility to be under his leadership and to do what he's made us to do. Now, to be a thriving people and to be successful in what he's called us to do, we got to do it together. Again, 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. You know, when I was a kid, there was a TV show, it was black and white. I remember uh, watching it when it would rain when I was in daycare in the afternoon. And, and uh, some of you will know it as soon as I, I say just a few, I'm just going to hum a few of the bars and I'm going to snap. And I, if you know this one, I want you just to raise your hand. Da -na -na -na. All right, who knows that one? Raise your hand. All right. So yeah, Adam's family, right? Well, later on, they made, they made a movie and, and you know, it's still kind of a, a known thing. Don't sing that song though, because it will get in your head. It'll ruin a whole week right there. Whistling it, humming it, family telling you to leave. I mean, it can get ugly. So just don't get that one in your head. But how many of you guys remember Thing? How many of you remember Thing? Thing was weird. It was a dismembered hand that would run around, right? 
and do stuff. I'm going to tell you something. If a dismembered hand comes up on this stage, I'm destroying it. All right? I'm going to, I'm going to stomp on it. I'm going to break every finger. We're going to burn it. We're going to catch it on fire. We're going to call the police. All right? Because that's weird. Some of you are living like thing. You're a dismembered body part. You're not a member of the body of Christ, this family. You say, I'm a Christian, but you're not connected. And you're certainly not serving your purpose because to serve your purpose, you have to do it in the community with Christians, with the family. Yes, you have a role. Yes, you have a next or a unique part, but your part, like my part, is to be done together. Now, in this series, we got to remember that God has given all of us opportunities. And one of the main opportunities that we got to remember is to be together, is to be one family of faith. And that each one of us, to be a thriving believer, we have to, to do what God's called us to do in that community. Now, again, let's remember that, that together we're to be thriving with opportunities God gives. And now let's get back to our text. Last week we finished in Nehemiah chapter 2, Verse 11, if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go now to Nehemiah chapter two. We're gonna begin today where we finished last week, which was in verse 11. Nehemiah was ready to begin his mission trip. Now, what we're gonna see in our text today is, is Nehemiah getting clarity and then getting busy in order to fulfill his God-given opportunity. Nehemiah helps us understand what we gotta do. We gotta get clarity, and I pray that that happens today as we look at the word and then, friends, we got to get busy. We got to get busy. Let's go to our text. We're in Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 11 through 18. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. I'm going to read again Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one about what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthen their hands for the good work. Friends, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. Nehemiah had something to do. First, he had to get clarity. And so he takes a night. And when you look at scripture, I mean, look how, look how much scripture, I mean, just look at the volume of words that God gave in the Bible to explain that night. Kind of where he went, every stop. He wanted to make it clear that there was, there was the need for him to get some clarity, but then he had to connect with others to get busy. Thriving with opportunities requires, first of all, that we experience God in salvation in Christ alone. 
And again, that's something that happens alone. It's amazing how many people have a testimony of being in a a worship experience like this or somewhere where there are other people. But in that moment, they felt utterly alone as if God was speaking to just them with the scripture that was being taught at that time. And that's what happens at salvation. It's you and God. You repent, you believe, you are saved. And in order to be a thriving person, you've got to have that experience. But then, having been filled with the Spirit of God, we are to join a family of faith. We're to pursue our calling and have our salvation affirmed. The way a believer, a believer, someone who who is chosen to repent and believe the gospel, the way they have their faith affirmed is through baptism, believer's baptism. There is a message in the method. The person is saying, I've been buried with Christ. My old life is dead. I've been washed. I've been raised to walk in new life in him. This is an act of obedience. And if you've not taken that step of obedience, you are outside of the will of God because no biblical church can receive you into membership until you've been baptized, until you've made public profession that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord. And having made that testimony, we applaud and we receive you into our family of faith. If you are not a member of a local Bible teaching church, you are out of God's will. You must be saved. You must be baptized. You must become an active part of the local church in order to be a thriving person. And and once we're in Christ and members of a local church, we got to get clarity and then we got to get busy. And that's what Nehemiah did. And that's what he's going to teach us. So take note of what Nehemiah did and what all thriving people do. Two things. The first one is this. Thriving people see the world's need. They see the need. Nehemiah took time to understand the extent of the damage to the city. And that's what we see in verses 1 through 16. And what he saw was obvious and it was bad, but he knew it could be fixed. Do you see the trouble our world is in? Do you really see it? Nehemiah, he he spent some time to inspect it. I I don't advise too much time in media, too much time listening to other people's opinions, but I do think it's, I think it's important that we know somewhat of what's going on in our world, particularly in our nation. Things are not going well. We have rejected God. We are like the, the, at the time of the judges when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that led to destruction over and over again. Friends, our nation is in trouble, but here's what I do know. God can fix it. I don't think Washington can fix it, and I hope you know that. God can fix it. And he's going to fix it by his grace for his glory. We need to see the world for what it is. It's broken. The world is not as it should be. God's design has been lost. And the reason it's been lost is because of our sin. Brokenness exists. We have a broken relationship with God at birth because we're born in sin. That brokenness, it impacts how we feel about ourselves. We're broken inside. And because we have a broken relationship with God and we're broken inside, we have broken relationships with other people. That's why life is so hard. That's why marriage is so hard. That's why good relationships are hard to gain because we're broken people. But by the grace of God, we can be made right with God. If we will repent, if we will stop 
trusting in ourselves and other created things and believe in the grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ. He's died for our sins. He's been raised. He will live in us. He will guide us. We can pursue and recover God's design. And a big part of that is peace. The wholeness of God, knowing that we're right with God, right within, enables us to pursue being right with others. And that that alone will heal our land. Only the gospel of God can heal our land because only the gospel of God can change a heart. You cannot litigate love. You cannot legislate love. All you can do is love. And you can't love if you don't have love. And if you've not received the love of Christ, you will always love with a tainted, broken love. And it will not heal, it will hurt. What God gives us brings healing, not only to our souls, but to all of our relationships. Here Nehemiah is, he, he saw the damage and he saw it with a fresh perspective. Friends, that's what we need to do every day as we study God's word. We need to see this world with a fresh perspective. And we need to understand that the rest of the nation, the rest of the people, most people, 85% of our community, this county, will not be in church today. Most of them will tell you that they attend church. Some of you, some of them will tell you that they attend our church. Ask them what I'm preaching. It will be a funny, awkward moment. Uh, the, the Bible, Bible, the Bible. What part of the Bible? Oh, I don't know. It's a good part, though. It's good. It's a good part. You know, what, what happened here in Jerusalem and what's happening with us, they were getting used to the devastation that they were living in. Friends, we got to be real careful that we don't become frogs in a kettle. You know what a frog in a kettle is? They say if you heat and boil water, if you put a frog in hot water, it'll jump out. But if you take a frog and you put it in room temperature water and then apply heat, that the frog will stay in the water even though it boils and it will actually die there. We got to make sure we're not frogs in a kettle. That we're not sitting here simmering in the sin of our culture, accepting the brokenness and all the pain and just saying, well, that's just the way it is because that's what they did in Jerusalem. These walls have been torn down for a hundred years. And you know what they said? Well, that's just the way it is. That's just how our world works. That's just what happens. Nehemiah shows up. He's looking at it with a fresh perspective. They couldn't imagine another way of life. Friends, we've got to be willing to imagine what it is to be a thriving people, to be a revived people, to live in an awakened time. We've, we've got to be willing to, to say what is and what can fix it. You know, when I, when I came to Living Hope, there was a desk there, and I don't know how long it had been there, but it was fine. It worked. It's a desk. I mean, what's a desk? It's a desk. You work on it. Well, two years ago, I'd been here 18 years, and the desk kept opening up at, at times when I wasn't looking, and I would turn to get out of my chair, and I would hit my shin, and I was not in a moment of, of a prayerful spirit when that was happening. Um, I wanted to well, it wasn't good. And so being a man, I got some duct tape. And I duct taped the drawer. And someone finally saw it and they said, you know, you could probably get another desk. I, I think the church is doing okay. 
it never dawned on me that I should get another desk. So they got me another desk. They even painted the walls. It was crazy. I didn't even think about that. And they refurbished the whole office. It never dawned on me not to just get by with some duct tape. I mean, not that that doesn't honor God and not that that's not awesome, but friends, God wants us to do more than just get by with duct tape. See, we keep looking at our culture. We keep looking at the nation. We keep putting duct tape on it. Well, this political party will fix it. Well, this this new gadget will fix it. Well, this is going to make everything okay. God alone can heal. And what we've got to be willing to do is to see the damage for what it is. We cannot get comfortable with it. We got to say, this is wrong. This is bad. This needs to be fixed. And we need to say so. Most people just need someone to lovingly lead them. You know what it says in Romans 10, 13? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe of him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Friends, there are many lost people in our city today. And there are most of them who say they go to church. Some of them even go to this church. And some of them are you. And you're lost. I hope you're praying I hope that every Sunday you're getting our prayer focus and every day you're praying the awakening prayer because if you are, here's what you prayed last week. Pray that God would convict and save any deceived, unregenerate church members who attend church but have never repented of sin and believed in Jesus for salvation. And then the the justification for that prayer is a terrifying scripture. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Friends, we need to be lovingly honest and let people know this world is not as it should be. Sin is destructive. And it will not only destroy you and your relationship with God and your relationship within and your relationship with other people, but the wrath of God will rightly be poured out on you for all of eternity. We need to tell people the truth. Nehemiah, he showed great wisdom in doing this. Look what he did in verse 17. He identified with their trouble and so should we with everyone we share our hope with. He said, you might want to underline this. You see the trouble we are in? Notice he didn't say, do you understand the trouble y'all are in? No, no, he said, we're all in this. And friends, we are all in this. We have all sinned. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then Nehemiah showed him a way forward. He said, look, let us build the wall of Jerusalem. Let us do it. Anyone can be saved. Anyone can see the rebuilding project of God through the power of the Holy Spirit if they will. Look at this, Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Anyone can be saved. Anyone can be saved, but they need to know that they can be saved. It's our responsibility to tell them this world is not as it should be. It's our responsibility to say it should not be broken like this. This is not God's will. God's will is that we have a right standing with him, right standing within, right relationships with others. And that only happens by the gospel. Nehemiah gave him hope. He said that we may no longer suffer derision. Friends, you, I know you know this, but maybe you forgot. Almost everybody you know 
is dealing with shame and guilt. Almost everybody you know, I would go so far as to say everybody you know has secrets, things that they've done that they don't want other people to know about. They probably have secrets within their secrets within their secrets. And they're terrified of anyone ever seeing what they really are and what they've really done. And you know what they can be? They can be free. They can come free of that. That doesn't have to define them anymore. They don't have to be ashamed. They don't have to be afraid. Romans chapter 8 verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We need to tell people that. We need to say, look, your life isn't meant to be broken down like the walls of Jerusalem. Your marriage, your family, it's not supposed to be broken down like the walls of Jerusalem. There's a grace that can be given that you can receive from God that can heal you and make you new. Nehemiah, he knew it and he prayed. Friends, for for a couple years now, we've been praying for revival. I'm a little excited this week. We met with our staff on on Tuesday afternoon and we've been praying for revival. Two individuals out of nowhere last week, the week before, showed up to our facility weeping and said, what do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to be saved? And we got their backstory. How did you get here? Who brought you? It's some of the craziest stories. <laughs> it's just hilarious. And I can't wait one day to, to share those when they're ready, when, they, when they're ready to make the decision to be baptized. Go back and study if you do this, I've done this. You go back and study the great revivals and awakenings in the past two millennia. This is where it begins. People just start showing up and saying, what must I do to be saved? Friends, keep praying because God's working. And get ready to join in on what God's doing. See, it's not enough that we understand it. It's not enough that we got clarity. Friends, we've got to get busy. So write it down. Thriving people do the Lord's work. They do it. Now, in Nehemiah's day, as there are some sitting in this room right now, there were some doubters. So what did Nehemiah do? Look what he did. I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. You know what he did? He gave them a testimony. Someone said, well, I just don't know if God can do this. I don't know if God, and he said, wait, 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 look what God's already done. Look how God's changed my life. God can change your life. God can change our world. Friends, people are not going to listen to me. All I am is a talking head. You know what? Your friends will listen to you. Your family will listen to you. You've got to be able to tell them, look, this was what my life was like before I met Jesus. This is how I repent and believe the gospel. This is what God is doing in my life. Grandparents, parents, do your children know your salvation story? Can they repeat it back to you? Can they say, oh yeah, here's how my mom was saved. It was at this day, it was happening in this season and, and this is where she repented and believed and now she's a Christian and this is what God's doing in her life right now. Can your, can your children do that for you, dad? Can grandparents, can they tell your story? Nehemiah had a story. He said, you doubt? You don't think that God's doing this? Here's my story. Look what God's already done. Friends, we gotta share our stories. 
And I love what they did. They said, all right, let's do it. Let us rise up and build. And then they did more than plan. They prepared. Look what it says. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Friends, there's a big difference between planning and preparing. Planning's talk. Preparing is action. I want you to imagine for just a moment. What would your life look like if each week you began to lead someone to saving faith in Jesus Christ, baptize them, and began to teach them to obey and to walk in a, in a, in a right relationship with God? What would that look like time-wise? What would that look like in terms of the way you think about money and the way you think about what's most important? How, if you knew that every day for, for the next 45 weeks that you're gonna lead at least one person to the Lord, baptize them, and then teach them to observe all that God has commanded, what would you have to do differently? Friends, if you really believe, you'll start preparing now. You'll, have to, you'll, you'll figure out, okay, how do I lead someone to Christ? Okay, what Bible studies do I take them through to make them disciples? You'll begin to prepare. These people believed. They saw the need and they began to do the work. They began to prepare. Friends, are you prepared? We have a simple mission. It's to impact our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. Friends, what's going to happen if God shows up in your home, in your neighbors, and in every generation if people start getting saved? Are you going to be the ones who's sitting in the pews going, well, isn't that just great? Well, praise God for them. Isn't that just a neat story? That's just so neat. I'm so glad. Okay, let's go back to the rest of the world and let's pretend that God's not doing anything in our life because, you know, we're not gonna. Friends, if you believe it, do it. If you don't, don't worry about it. Hell's probably not real to you. Neither is heaven. Just continue to live like it's not. You'll miss it. You'll miss the opportunity. You will not be thriving and you will miss the opportunity. You know, there's a city in Northern California. It's called Paradise. Paradise, California. In 2018, November 8th, a fire ravaged that entire city. Killed 85 people. 19,000 structures, 14,000 of them homes were destroyed. 95% of the structures of that city, gone. There's still people that live there, about 4,000 people. They live in mobile homes and RVs. There's one business that's been rebuilt out of all the ones destroyed, one. And the weird thing is, the football field was fine. I'm not saying God loves football. I'm just saying it was, it's weird. Do you know what's happened? They started playing football in that field. But here's something else that's starting to happen. And here's what we need to know. Children are going to school. Of that 4,000 people, children are going to school. Children are going by. Guys, put that picture back up there. Children are going by all these. Yeah. They're going by these burned down neighborhoods. And they're remembering that fire. And, they're, and you know what they're starting to say? You know what they're starting to think? This is normal. You know, we just, when we go through our city, it's just rubble. It's just destruction. 
If they don't start rebuilding, if they don't start doing something about the damage, there's going to be another generation that's going to come up and say, no, this is paradise. This is what it's like. It's just a bunch of burned out buildings. Friends, if we don't start praying and getting busy making disciples, we and the next generation are just going to say, well, that's what America's like. It's just a carnal, broken, degraded culture. It's just dirty, it's mean, it's lost, it's hell-bound. And that's just how it is. God, God is calling us to an opportunity. Do you believe it? Can you see it? Can you, can you see what a revived church looks like? Can you see what an awakened city looks like? Can you imagine having services just all afternoon baptisms because you and, and your families are coming to faith and your neighbors are coming? Can you imagine what your life will have to be like? The sacrifices that you will happily make knowing that lives are being transformed and you're making disciples. It'll only happen if you're thriving. So let's look at this. Let's look at it. You're going to get so sick of looking at this, but let's look at this. Are you thriving? Thriving is having the confidence to be intimate with God and the contentment to obey God's commands while trusting outcomes to God's capable care. If you're not saved, you're not thriving. If you're not making disciples, you're not thriving. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for some who are here right now who are, who are not saved. They've never repented and believed the gospel. Maybe they went to church. Uh, maybe they were sprinkled when they were young. Maybe they've had some um, institutional religion. But here's what we know, Lord. Unless we repent and believe the gospel, we will not be saved. And I pray that there are some right now who are in their hearts saying to you, God, please forgive me. I believe Jesus died for my sins. Lord Jesus, I know you're alive. Live in me. Take over my life. And I pray that they will be baptized soon, Father. And Lord, I, I know there are some who are here right now who've repented and believed the gospel. But the fact of the matter is, they're like the people of Jerusalem. They've gotten used to the walls being broken down. They're used to a culture that's been destroyed. They've lost their heart for heaven. And they're not real sure they believe in hell. But Father, here's what I know. If they were sick, they lost their jobs. If we were suffering in any way, Father, we, we would weep and we would pray. We would be overwhelmed. But God, we're not weeping for the lost because either we don't care or we don't understand. Father, please give us a heart for what you have a heart for. Would you pray right now for God to give you a heart for what he has a heart for? Would you pray for tears to weep for those who are on their way to hell right now? Who are right now suffering because their relationship with God is broken, they're broken within, and their relationships in the world are broken. Would you ask God to give you tears for them right now? And would you commit yourself right now to talking to them about your story and about your faith? Would you be willing to guide them to become a disciple of Jesus? Here's my challenge right now. 
pray for someone right now that you believe is not a Christian. To the best of your ability, you, you think they're probably not saved. And now commit yourself to talking to them this week, asking God to give you the words, to give you the heart, and give you the opportunity. Father, give us hearts that care. Give us lives that will do what is needed to clarify and to get busy. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.